nothing prepares you for India. This is what I was told by a Canadian woman I met in Myanmar when I told her I was headed there next. And I kept hearing the same thing from most people when I told them that my partner and I were going to go to India. I remember the night before we flew to Kolkata, talking on the phone with my parents. They traveled India in the 1980s, and I'd grown up listening to stories they often told about their time there. I told my parents that we thought we'd be totally fine adjusting to India. We'd been traveling for months. I'll never forget how my dad chuckled and said, nowhere in the world is like India. Don't worry, you'll see. (laughs) My dad was absolutely right. The first few weeks in India especially, we had some frustrating moments and exhausting days, and we experienced culture shock and our fair share of deli belly. I think what the women in Myanmar and my own parents said about India being tough to prepare for as a traveler is a common narrative. India has this reputation of being a place that you're guaranteed to feel culture shock. And I understand why. Culturally, it's very different from the USA or from Canada. But I think as Westerners, many of us have very stereotyped perceptions of India. And many of these stereotypes are deeply unfair, and they paint India in a very homogenous way. It's important to recognize that India is a diverse country. It's full of different ethnicities, languages, cultures, foods, and lifestyles. So today we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about perceptions of India with Anuj. Anuj is actually a listener of this show. He and I have been messaging back and forth for quite some time, and eventually I realized that we should just bring our conversation onto the podcast. So here we are. Welcome, Anuj. Thank you for having me. We're so glad to have you. And it's kind of funny because today is Saturday. It's 4 p.m. for us, and you're in Australia, and you're in the future. It's Sunday over there, Sunday morning. So I wanted to start by asking if you could share with us your story, where you were born and how you got to where you are now, which is, I believe, Melbourne, Australia. Yeah. So I currently live in Melbourne, Australia. Um, I was born in Ahmedabad. Uh, it's a city, one of the largest cities in India, in a state of Gujarat. I migrated to Australia in twenty uh, when I was 20 years old, so in mid-2000s. Uh, I came here for studies. And then just stayed here. And this is a very common practice uh, for a lot of Indians. So they either go to a very well-known English-speaking country for higher education and then settle down in that country. So, yeah, here I am 16 years later. I'm really enjoying uh, Australia and I call my second home. So my perception of Australia is it's my father country and India is my mother country. Ah. And why did you pick Australia? Like what prompted that? Because you could have picked like, I know like lots of people from India end up coming to Canada for their studies as well. So what was it that drew you to Australia? It is a good question. I originally, like every uh, Indian wants to go to North America for some reason. But the biggest culture in India right now is cricket and North America has nothing. (laughs) And I'm a huge sport fan. Like, I'm a huge sport fan. Australia has cricket. Australia has tennis. And Melbourne has both. So that was sort of a draw card for me. Like, oh, yeah, I want to go somewhere where it's decent weather and decent sport. Didn't think about that. I mean, I'm going to be in love 
in this city that I'm not even going to move anywhere else. <laughs> That's awesome. So I wanted to ask a bit about, I'm, I'm not going to say the name right, about, about the city that you were born in, Ahmedabad. Could you explain like a little bit about Gujarat and what it was like growing up there? So um, Gujarat is like Ahmedabad, for um, example, is quite large city. I think top 10 most populated in India. It's pretty big. I, I would assume there is about 5 million plus population right now. So growing up in Gujarat is, uh, all my friends are from my state, my city. When I was growing up, there is not a lot of uh, interstate migrations around. So this was back in 80s and 90s. Yeah, growing up in India was a ball. I loved it. <laughs> but but when I came to Australia, I, I, I realized that a lot of the people here are growing up very differently, right? So for example... One of the things that my city people will be scared of are dogs uh, because we have lots of stray dogs and they run after you. So a lot of my friends and me also are not comfortable around the dogs. Whereas in Australia, well, dog is a second kid or first kid sometimes. That's one thing. The other thing is the infrastructure wise. So in 90s, uh, I mean, when I was growing up, the infrastructure wasn't as good in India, because it was still, I mean, growing rapid pace, but infrastructure wasn't catching up. So for example, it is very common for an Aussie to know swimming. Like they will just do it casually on in sea or lake, or they can go to whatever, like, but my age Indians, a lot of them won't know swimming, or they will learn when they are adult, because the infrastructure wasn't there, right? So there is subtle differences that a lot of Australians, a lot of my Aussie friends won't understand. So when I explain to them, look, we had electricity outages on Tuesdays in mid 90s when when I was in like fifth grade or seventh grade or something like that. I can't even remember, but we had a lot of outages. It's like when we talk about this in front of uh, my Australian friends, it's just all like they'll be like, oh, wow, is that used to be like that? Um, and I'm like, yeah, it is, but it's not there now. So if you go to India and migrate it, it's very good. Like, it's very modern. It's like we're talking 15 years or 20 years. I've seen India grow from where I grew up into what it is now. It's mind-blowing. So, um, yeah, so now even, like, if I go back now, it will be, like, at least 20 new roads, 20 new suburbs being built. And it's just rapid growth. Well, I have to go back to the thing about the dogs because I wrote a journal when we were in traveling in India. We were there for two months and I would write all the time about how afraid I was of the street dogs because they would approach me and like sometimes chase me and I I became kind of scared of them and I thought that was so funny because like in Canada when you grow up like dogs are friendly you like them you keep them in your house and that was the first time in my life that I I actually felt like a little bit afraid of dogs so it's funny to hear that you also felt that way um so we've touched on it a little bit but People talk often about how Western tourists experience culture shock when they go to India, but I'm curious to hear whether you or your wife experienced any form of culture shock when you first arrived in Australia. Oh, yeah. Like when we arrived to Australia, the biggest thing is like silence. Like there is no noise. I mean, what's going on? <laughs> so in India, you have people honking the street, but in Australia, there is absolutely nothing like silence and 
it it feels like there is no one around. I mean, obviously there is lot less population. But the, it when I landed in Australia at like eight p.m., I'm like, where is pe- like where are everyone? That was my first reaction. And the other thing is for me specifically, it's the tap drinking, right? So in India, people store water in the house or the apartment they live in. There is a big tank at the top of the uh, building, and it's not pure uh, because India doesn't have a running water, and then come to Australia and then you start drinking from the tap. Like you see it in movies and you read it, you know it. But when you do it, it's very different. Like it doesn't feel right because we always used to drink from like a stored place, either in the fridge or like a, there, there could be a vessel in somewhere where you just open the tap and walk, drink it. So there's one place only. But here, like every tap you can drink it. And like everything shuts down at five or six. and it was very different because in India, nothing shuts down. Like life starts after seven. So even the working hours in India, are like 10 o'clock to even 10.30 to like six or seven. And everything runs very late because maybe it's where I am from. It's very hot. So it's a lot later. But here, five, five o'clock, done. But now I'm so used to it uh, because I, I want to go home at five too. So it 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 is very different. But it's all positive because these are the things that you don't want to do in India. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because like the things that you describe as being surprising to you in Australia or like difficult to adjust to, like the tap water thing, for example, for us, like as Westerners going to India, learning that you can't drink the tap water, it's, it's literally the opposite thing that is surprising when you're coming from the West to India because it was like for us, the noise caused culture shock for us. And for us, it was the fact that we could only drink bottled water. So it's funny how it's like literally just flipped. And I have to ask about the honking, because why do people honk their horns so much in India? Uh, I actually don't understand it as well. So like (laughs) it's going on since I'm alive, right? So it is just a norm that everybody honks. Like it, I can see the declining trend easily. Like last time I was in India, it, it was so much more silent than it used to be. When I learned driving, it was very, very, very noisy in the, in the road. And you were taught to honk all the time. I'm so curious now if when we go back, we had planned to travel to India again last year. Obviously, we had to cancel the trip because of COVID, but we're going to rebook it. So I'm curious now, since it'll be a few years in between our two trips, whether we'll notice less honking when we go back. I always think of Varanasi because Varanasi was the city where it was just like everyone was honking all the time. It was so nuts. how many listeners would know this, but let's touch on it. So there's a legacy of colonialism in India. In the 19th century, India was under British rule up until 1947. And there are plenty of people that still are still alive who remember this period. So I'm curious if you growing up in India or going there as an adult have seen how this history of colonialism has shaped India and maybe India's culture today or how it persists still. So there are two parts to the story, right? So when growing up, you get taught what happened during colonization. So it's a, a incident by incident sort of a report. So like 
in 1957 or 1857 this happened 18 this this happened 1921 this happened right so when you are studying that it's a factual based historical study right this happened x year x y year y so not understand what the consequences are for that right and india has been independent since 1947 so when i'm growing up it's almost 50 years right so even my parents are born around or after the independence but and now i am quite intellectual and now i can understand what happened so i started reading the books like so one of the person that is very vocal against uh, colonization is the person named shashi tharoor is the indian politician he has a book it's called um, an era of darkness i would suggest if you want to understand the colonization history maybe read that book but in uh, crux of it before the british came to india or s- uh, started ruling india india was producing almost more than 20% of world's gdp so india was that rich and when they left in 1947 british left uh, india was less than 0.5% of the gdp and obviously population growth was crazy too so just putting those stats in just see how much it damaged india like and india since then is trying to recover it it is recovering it but it it's going to take time it's 200 years of smashing and once you get free it will take few years to just understand oh, now we can do something and india being democracy it takes a little bit longer that's why india has it has a lot of things to catch up since british rule came up mhm yeah and i think like i don't know, you you've listened to this show so you know we talk pretty often about how important it is to educate yourself about um this kind of history when you travel somewhere and so obviously i think it is important that anyone especially if you're coming from a country with a colonial legacy that you do a bit of work to understand how colonialism has impacted the country that you're visiting. And so I wanted to ask, do you think that this history of colonialism impacts the experience of white people who travel to India these days? Actually, no, because India is a thing called Atithi Devo Bhava. So it, that's how it's said in Hindi. In translating it is like guests are always welcome. Yeah, I mean there is a dark past, but people don't care about it as much because if you care about the past you will never grow right so you learn from the past but now if you go to india it is quite good so all the people are welcomed really well in india so you actually have more so give you an example one of my friend went to india and she took a rural tour because in villages you don't get to see tourists a lot she was a star of the show and a lot of the kids and uh, they took uh, photos of her with and kids took photos with her and everything was like that she was even invited in the wedding which was happening in a, a temple so it actually doesn't impact a lot i mean i think people in india have moved on from it and everything is all about tourism nowadays i mean if you go to the right places yeah oh totally and we definitely experienced that when we were there ourselves like everyone we met was super welcoming and we just had an incredible experience 
At the top of the show, I mentioned how there are a lot of perceptions about what India is like. And one of the things that I hear often is that India isn't safe for tourists. I remember like even myself when um, my partner and I were telling people that we were going to go to India, they were like, oh, you be careful. You have to be so careful. And we found this kind of funny because... I mean, like, I agree, everywhere you travel, you need to be careful to do it to a certain degree. But I found it funny that people felt that way specifically about India. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on this perception. And if there's any other perceptions that you've noticed people tend to have about India. Yeah, so the exact same perception that everybody has about India, like, a lot of uh, people will ask me like, oh, is India unsafe destination? I always say to them, that's not the right question. It's not about being unsafe or safe. It can be unsafe anywhere. Like uh, it can be unsafe in Europe or America or anywhere. It's all about the destination that you choose, right? So if you choose somewhere that there is no tourism, then you'll feel strange over there. But if it's lots of tourism, like uh, you've been to Varanasi, you will feel it safe, but on on the high, on the outside it will feel unsafe. But when you are inside, it's not as bad, right? Obviously, there is a lot of chaos in India. There's like a lot of people, like million people out there, right? That's why people will think, oh, it's unsafe because there's a lot of people. But when you have a lot of people, that's actually safe because uh, there is a lot less thieves, a lot less. Yeah, I mean. If you go alone somewhere in an area where there is no tourism, then it's obviously unsafe. It's as unsafe as going to Africa and take, you know, uh, go for a walk uh, in a lion safari, right? So it is important to uh, ask, uh, how do you travel? Like, other than where do you travel, right? So are you practicing safe travel strategies or are you already feared about it? So if you are already fearful about going there, then get any small little hiccup, like even the pocket that gets stolen, you'll be like, oh, I got I got robbed. I mean, there are no guarantees. Like you can go to like a France and you can still get pickpocketed, you know? So, but it's the perception in your mind that, oh, I got pickpocketed in India, but that could happen anywhere, right? If you are going somewhere very rural, or um, very unexplored places, then you have to take the local. For example, I, if I go to East India or North India or something, I will feel lost because I'm not from that area and it is so different. So um, I will always take a tour there. Even being an Indian, I'm not, I'm not going by myself. Yeah. yeah, I can confirm about the pickpocketing thing because I have been pickpocketed in Montreal, like in my own country. I've been pickpocketed in Amsterdam. It always happens like in the places that you don't expect it to happen. <laughs> and also uh, also on that, so if the travelers behave badly, you're going to expect the same return, right? So there will be a reaction to it and it happens everywhere. Like if you go to Brazil, it will be like the same. So it's how you travel or where you travel is the more question than oh, is entire India unsafe? Like, not really, uh, but you need to be careful on what you do. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I feel like it's a bit of a generalization. I like I personally felt completely safe the entire time we were in India. And um, I do think it's a little bit about like your mindset going in and just the way that you travel.
I think, like, as with traveling anywhere, it's also important to emphasize that as a tourist, we don't we don't always experience the realities of a place, especially when the places that we visit are sort of catering to tourists, especially. So I'm curious, like, obviously there are realities of India that tourists don't typically get exposed to or see. What are some of the realities that you think tourists are missing when they visit India? So one of the thing is, India is huge, like in terms of culture, nature, everything, right? If people expect to see India in one go, like two weeks, three weeks, there is no chance, right? Um, it, it is so large. You might only be able to visit two or three states. It's like every state has a different culture. So that's that's the reality of India. Like if people say, I've been to India for 10 days, then you have not seen India. Like you have seen only 1% of India. So... The reality is that if you really want to visit, maybe stay one year or uh, maybe just do it 10, 20 times in your lifetime um, or just have an expectation. Think, look, I'm never going to see it. I just want to highlight it and just finish it off there. Yeah. And that's what everybody needs to expect. Right. Yeah, I I can say like from personal experience, we found it so interesting because like we traveled across India for two months straight. And so we would go, we would like stay in a state for a while and then move to another one. And we would always notice how like we would take a train overnight and we would wake up in a place and the language would be a bit different and people's like mannerisms would be a bit different and the culture and the food would be a bit different. And it always blew our minds because it's like yesterday we were in another place and it was like so different. It was really like amazing to see how how diverse India is just like from taking one train ride overnight. Yeah. So my, my golden uh, sentence is India is like Europe without borders. Um, <laughs> yeah. So each state is a country in Europe and with population size, almost, it's different food, different language, different culture, different history, different everything. Even the climate is different, right? So sometimes you see, oh, India is hot, but it's not. Yeah, so it's hot and not. It's like Europe. Just expect what you do. Like, do you expect Europe to be uh, visited in two weeks? Like you think entire Europe is visited? No, it's not. Totally. The hot cold thing is funny too, because we traveled from, we were in South India and we went up to the hill stations. We went to one called Munar and it was freezing. And because it had been so hot, like we didn't have a lot of warm clothing with us. So I remember wearing, like I had all my shirts on and my one jacket and I was just like wearing all of my clothing, trying to stay warm. So I think a lot of people, when they think of India, they think of poverty I know even from my own travels there that there's a real spectrum of privilege. We did witness poverty while we were there, but we also um, had the opportunity to visit like very developed cities, um, places that were like incredibly westernized. So I think like there is indeed poverty, but there's also a middle class and there is a wealthy class. Why do you think it's important for tourists to recognize that there isn't just poverty in India, which I think tends to be a generalization? Yeah, so there are two parts of the story, right? So as we explore earlier about British colonization, so the poverty is because of them. I can safely say that they, the poverty in India wouldn't have existed before the British rule, right? So if a foreign tourist come about and visits, like see poverty in India, 
you have to link it back to why. And that is so important in my uh, mind that everybody should do that. The wealthy class is extreme wealth, like one of those big fat Asian Indian wedding kind of a wealthy, right? And then there is a huge middle class, which are the biggest consumers, right? Yeah, so it is so important for the tourists just to not visit slums, right? Uh, and if you even if you do, you have to connect it with why are the slums. And then if you are going with a tour, your tour guide is most likely to be a middle class person. So maybe uh, engage with your tour guide and go and ask him instead of going to slum, what, what, where is he? What is he doing? What does he do every day? That could be totally different to what you see in slums, like totally different. And and that's the real part of India, like not not the poor. Like there is different levels of richness in India. And you want, I, I would love for visitors to see all of them. One thing that we did when we were traveling there, we always traveled by train and we would take different classes of train. So sometimes like there was one trip where we paid like the highest amount and got into the nicest car. And then we got to meet all the people there and like made friends with the people there. And then another time we went in sleeper class. And so we met all the people in sleeper class and we would do all the different like levels of expensive for the train. But it was like a really good way to sort of like get insight into the sort of different ways that people are living because I think the train sort of was representative of like those different parts of society. Yeah, it is actually very interesting that you act did that. I mean, that's very fascinating way. Like that's actually perfect way to see how different India is. And you would have experienced like, look, the first year AC class have very different people. They probably speak amazing English and they, perfect they English. are like well-dressed and everything. And yeah. Whereas I think the last class, I don't know what it's called right now. But without the AC, non-sleeper, non it will be packed with people and it will be in the same train. But also there is one about the first class is the airline. Like, so people don't even go into the train. A lot of my friends now have stopped going uh, by train. And when we were growing up in India, like there was not a lot of flights. Our flights were inaccessible because it was so expensive. When I was growing up, my dad used to take us around almost every summer vacation. and we used to take a train, like 30 hours train, right? From where we are into South India or something. I cannot even imagine doing that now. That's amazing, actually. Like, that's a good way to look at how it is. And then you can get access to it in the airports. Yeah, yeah. I loved taking the train in India. It was my favorite thing to do, especially the overnight trains. I had the best sleep on the overnight train. I loved it so much. So it is it is amazing because you would have seen all the small stations and the different food culture. They, they'll just come on trains. Yeah, you would see like people just barge onto the train and they want to sell something to you. Uh, they want to sell some food. It's very brave of you to do that, honestly. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I loved getting the food. We were we were always buying food and chai from the guys who would hop on the train. We never knew what it was. We would just be like, okay, we'll try it. <laughs> yeah, it's mostly all vegetarian, so you'll be fine. And and the good thing about those food is it's churned so quickly. So it's hardly ever gonna be bad because it's it's hot and the the churn rate is so high that it'll most likely to be very, very fresh. 
Yeah. So we were really lucky to be able to spend a full two months in India. Um, so we traveled from Kolkata to across to Rajasthan, and then we went through the South for a month. And I think because we saw different parts of the country, we were really able to see and understand how diverse India is. How would you describe like the diversity of India? In what ways is is there diversity there? So uh, I think I've said earlier, it's the Europe. Just think about it as a Europe thing. So you'll have each state, different language, different food, and even different climate, right? So for example, you went to, uh, I think you went from Kolkata, so from east all the way to west, and you would have seen like the weather patterns would be different. Even the trees would be different. The food is extremely different. I think Kolkata is more, they probably can buy seafood in Kolkata that could be the best place to buy seafood and in Rajasthan you would see a lot of chicken so and then my my state is pure vegetarian so everything is vegetarian in my state it is just surprised like it it is so diverse and every everything has a different language to it so if you think oh you can learn one language and you'll be fine yeah you probably can speak English and Hindi you'll be okay but if you want to interact with local either you need to have a guide because they're speaking different language or you need to learn one of them. It's because the the reason being so diverse is the history part of India. Like thousands of years ago, these are all small kingdoms of different kings. Even before the colonization, Indian India was ruled by Mughals. So the difference between Mughals and British as well, Mughals stayed in India and they made India more prosperous because they wanted to stay and thrive. Whereas Britishers took things away to their own country. Like before Mughals, there was different like small tribes or rulers and there was different empires in the back. So Indian history could go back five, seven, eight, ten thousand 10,000 years. And that's why the cultures in India uh, developed so different and the languages uh, are different. In, even within the same state, you could have different dialects of same language. And you can go from south to north in the same state, you'll see different food. Because it's based on how everything was derived thousands of years ago. And it's still said as it is. Mm. Are Mughals, are they kings? Is what the, Yeah, they like... were the kings, yeah. So uh, as far as I know, the Mughals were linked to Chinggis Khan. But they are the... They, they, they are the one who made India very, very prosperous. I've heard that a lot of people in India can speak like multiple languages. Is that true? It is true. I hope so. It's still true. Back in my time, it's, it was true. So I at least speak three languages. And the good thing is that all the different languages, so Hindi, Gujarati, Punjabi, and Rajasthani, Marathi, that's Marathi, all of these languages were derived out of probably same language in the past and very similar sounding. But if you go to South India, the languages are very different. Like I wouldn't, understand a single word of it uh, but whereas if somebody speaks Punjabi I might get few words but not not the language but then if if somebody start picking Marathi I might get few words and same with them if I am speaking Gujarati they might understand some words because it's slightly different grammar and slightly different term uh, in uh, vocabulary but you still get it 
but it's very <laughs> yeah it's very common to have two three languages you know and now the new generations so the next generation are learning one of the european languages so it's be fun it'll be four languages <laughs> <laughs> i remember we were in tamil nadu and we were there when the movie bahubali 2 came out <sighs> and it was everyone was so excited and we found out later it was because this is a Tamil movie. So people were like really excited about it because it was a movie like in their language. And everyone we met was like, you have to go see this movie. So we did like the week that it opened, we went and we got a ticket and we went and we watched it and we didn't understand any of it. But it was just fun to like be with everyone else and see how excited everyone was for the movie. Bali, 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 ra, bali. Yeah, so that movie, honestly, was produced in Tamil, obviously produced in Tamil Nadu. And yeah, that's as big as Game of Thrones, like that was there. <laughs> uh, it was huge. Uh, yeah, it was big. It was huge. Like, I would not like be wrong in saying that probably made the most amount of money. In India. Like, because they produce in different languages as well. So it was translated in Hindi. Like, even my my wife and I, we were excited for Bahubali too. Oh, when the <laughs> second one came out. Yeah. So, you can uh, watch it in English too. Like it's been dubbed now in English as well. Oh, okay. Like people would have, I don't know if it has happened in when you watch it, but then they would have stand up and the hero would have appeared in the screen and then whistled it or clapped or something. That's very, yeah. like, that's amazing sometimes. <laughs> it's very uh, masculine thing to do like in India. When the main lead actor comes on, People would just clap. Uh. Uh, so I mentioned at the top of the show that there are some unfair stereotypes and a lot of misconceptions about India. So I wanted to ask what you think are the biggest ones that you find um, visitors might think about India that are wrong. Well, first of all, it, I think toilets. People think India doesn't have toilets or weird <laughs> toilets. It's not true. Um, I mean, unless you go to a very remote or you, a regional area where you're not supposed to, uh, then you have a problem. So that's one of the stereotypes that I get asked. The food, everybody says food gives you diarrhea. Delhi belly is the thing. I'm like, yeah, Delhi belly is the thing if you have cold food all the time. If you keep, and you said that you kept on eating street foods of station, which I even don't dare to do, but you didn't get you probably did get sick or didn't get sick but i'm trying to remember i don't think i did i don't think i ever yeah, got so telly that's belly. the thing the, the the thing that you gotta be careful is you have to have hot food and hot in the sense temperature hot and make sure you tell them that you want to have less spicy because in india it's quite a spice very spicy food if you stick to two rule of thumbs like have hot food less spicy food then you'll be fine because the churn in India uh, of the food, like a lot of people eat a lot of things. And then the food is cooked every day. So you had, you will not get deli belly. I mean, but don't expect that you won't. You might because it's a thing. But if you are careful, you'll be fine. And the other thing is that people think is India will scam foreigners. I don't think it's valid, right? There are places where locals have different ticket prices and the foreigners have ticket prices but 
it is not only India specific. I've been to South America and I've seen that, like Machu Picchu is an example, right? It is a standard practice across the board. So you don't expect India to do, oh, we'll charge local the same and foreigners the same. No, because it's general traveling practice everywhere. You coming to India, you expect to pay more than local because they want to promote local. They want to promote local people to see Taj Mahal. It's their, it's their thing. But the difference is not going to be too high. Like you might have a little bit more to pay, but not three, four, five times. The Taj Mahal, when we went, was it was $20, which is not a lot of money if you're from a Western country at all. But people would complain about it like, oh, but the locals only have to pay $2. Well, you come from a country where there's higher salaries and $20 is not that much money. And exactly same. I, I can tell this to Machu Picchu, right? Machu Picchu, we pay $80 for one person and local are free entry. And I support that because tourism dollar is important and you want to make locals to visit their monument too. So you want to make accessible to locals plus you want to maintain that area as well. So you want to sort of balance it out and that's how it works. And that's a very standard practice. I, I would say in Australia, it'd be the same as well, but I, I, I don't know it. I'm just thinking about the spicy food because I admittedly didn't eat a lot of spicy food before I went to India and I really liked eating street food and then I didn't have a choice about how spicy it was because they just would give it to me and um, there were a lot of times that I was like my head hurt because it was so spicy <laughs> and after two months though I had built up such a tolerance and now I love spicy food and I eat it all the time at home. <laughs> Wow, that's a huge positive change. <laughs> yeah. I actually went the opposite. I went, I came to Australia and stopped eating spicy food. I can't, I don't have tolerance of Indian spices. Oh no. I used to have to like eat with lassi all the time. Like I would take a bite and then have to take some lassi to like neutralize the spice. So when I think about our time there, I think there are two specific things that caused a bit of culture shock for me, um, especially when we first arrived. The first thing is just the amount of people. India is the second most populous country in the world with about 1.3 billion people. And in the cities, especially really feel this because of the crowds. And it's funny because I, I remember thinking that like, oh, it's just crowds. Like I can handle crowds. It, it won't bother me. I've been in a crowd before, but it's just different because it's it's crowds everywhere all the time. And that was that was a difficult adjustment. And then the second thing was, and I've mentioned it before, the sound. I remember, especially in Varanasi, just feeling overwhelmed because there was so much sound. And sometimes I felt like I couldn't think straight because of all the sound. It's funny because both those things I I didn't think would have such an effect on me, but it really did take me, I'd say, like two or three weeks to adjust once we arrived. And ever since going there on that trip, whenever people ask me about traveling to India, the first thing I tell them is try to go for longer than two or three weeks if you can, like go for as long as you can, because in the beginning it feels overwhelming. And then once you sort of adjust, you'll enjoy it a lot more. It won't be stressful. So the longer, the better. But as someone who's lived both in India and Australia, are there aspects of India that you think tend to cause visitors to feel overwhelmed? Yeah, so exactly as you said, sound, yeah. I mean, the Western country, like especially in Australia, is very quiet. And that was one of my opposite culture shock, right? So 
uh, it's very crowd. Like India got so many people, it's very crowded. It's full on. I mean, it got a lot of lot going on. Like it's traffic, it's sound, noise, air pollution is quite a lot as well. So you need to adjust to those levels when you go to India. Like the air quality is not is very different. The sound so loud. Like the you'll still hear traffic noise in the night so you need to adjust to that it's like jet lag but sound lag and air <laughs> lag you know so yeah. um it, it, and that takes longer because once you get used to it you won't even hear it and the moment you get off the airplane like get off the airport you'll straight into it like you driving and then honking and sound and it's you hear various different sound notes so that's the climate that i call it you need to adjust and same with jet lag you've got to adjust time zone you've got to adjust the climate as well and everything runs late so because of so many people like you don't expect to arrive like if you're booked at 10 o'clock most likely everything will run an hour or two hours late everywhere so these are the things that everyone needs to expect in india like noise air quality i mean the traffic and the timing, right? And we call it the IST is like Indian stretched time. <laughs> it's not an Indian standard time. It's Indian stretched time. Everything runs a little bit late. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I know we would always say to each other, like we should never make plans in India. We just have to see how things go and like see what happens. Not having a plan was better because then you could just sort of like figure things out as it went. <laughs> and and this is the exact, I mean, this is very important to know because as a Western tourist, you would expect everything to run on time. Everything will be in places, but it's not going to happen. Like the expectations are need to be set as like, oh no, things are going to run late. Things are going to be noisy. You're going to hit traffic. You might be stuck there for an hour or so in the same spot. You probably could have walked uh, because of the amount of people are there. And that's the beauty of it. And a lot of uh, people say, oh, it's so hard to drive in India. Dada. I love driving in India. <laughs> the first thing I do, get off my plane, is get my dad's car and drive around. Uh, yeah. It's a skill. It's an art. I mean, if you can drive over there, it's so easy everywhere else. Yeah. Uh, oh, totally. I mean, I remember my parents saying to me, because my parents have also traveled there, they traveled in India in the 80s. And um, I remember like telling them the day or so before we flew into Kolkata, I told my dad, oh, like, we'll be fine. We've been traveling around Asia. So I think like, it won't shock us. We'll, we'll adjust quickly. And my dad started laughing and he was like, ha no, nothing, nothing is like India. Like you, you won't understand it until you're there. And he was totally right. <laughs> so in one of our earlier episodes, we interviewed the woman behind the No White Saviors campaign. And one thing that they emphasized to us was that they wished that people who visit Uganda, which is where they're from, as well as other parts of Africa, visit to see and share the beauty of those places. And I can say that personally, I experienced an immense amount of beauty in India, from wonderful conversations with people to gorgeous architecture and landscapes. And honestly, even though some people might view the chaos of some of the cities as bad, I actually really liked it. I thought it was like really exciting and there was just always so much to look at and take in. 
it was just amazing to be in it and be able to observe like that energy and all the movement within the city. So what beauty do you, as someone from India, hope that tourists will look for when they visit India? According to me, my opinion, the tourists need to pick a type, like a theme of going to India, right? So if you want to just see highlights, just do five places, two weeks. You don't see India, you just see highlights, right? Few key points. But then if you want to go longer, then you got to pick and choose the themes that you want to... Like if you just have a limited time, but you want to go somewhere, then pick a theme, right? If you want to do a safari, right? If you want to just see... Uh, cities or rural area, pick those areas and stay there for a little longer because it only gives you exact idea of what it is. And slow travel is amazing in India too. Like as you've done two months in India, you would know like if you go by, by a train or by car to one place to other, you'll see a lot of different small things in the middle, which you don't see in the big highlights reel of, uh, you know, Indian history. So I would say pick and choose uh, a theme and uh, visit the specific places that you want to go. If you don't have a plan, then you need to be there for a longer period so that you can understand where you want to go or what you want to see. Because India has everything that you want. If you want history, it's there. If you want wildlife, it's there. If you want rainforest, it's there. If you want islands, there. Caves, diving snow skiboarding you know cities <laughs> like breathing with uh life their nightlife their beach life you get yoga you get uh massage i mean like there is specific places everywhere so just everything uh is there you just have to pick and choose and a lot of the time see even though i've traveled to so many countries i've begin to realize that india is the place where i can do everything so i've started making a list and it's a spreadsheet. I think I might have shared with you as well. Yeah, you um, did. I maintain it and I'm like, I listen to podcasts called The Musafi Stories. I, I would recommend people to hear it as well. And they have amazing stories of people in India. So, I mean, if you are planning to go to India in that place, just have a look at their playlist and listen to the episode that the place that you want to go. So it's the perfect way you can visit that place. Yeah, so just be prepared and choose a theme to visit. And what advice do you have beyond that for someone who wants to visit India? So I would say just take uh, some precautions when you go to India. Plan in advance where you go. At least think about what to do uh, if you have limited time. Unless if you have no like long time like you, then you don't have to. But um, if you have like a month only, then you should always have a plan in your head. Expect delays everywhere. Even if you think about going from one place to other, even by flight or train or by car, even the Google Maps said three hours is not going to be that. It's impossible going to be that. Expect the culture shock. So don't do silly things like drink from tap water. So <laughs> then you'll be fine. And I would recommend take a tour from one place to the other. Like if you are going in that city, there will be tour operators who do cities tour. Then you will be perfectly fine. So if you want to enjoy food in Delhi, there is food trails in Delhi. If you want to uh, go from Delhi to Agra Taj Mahal, there will be people who goes to uh, goes from Delhi to Taja. They they will have tours. Just make sure you take it uh, as a tour, and that's what I think 
that's how you enjoyed India most. What's your favorite place that you've been to? Oh, that's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to be diplomatic and go, my city is my favorite place. Okay. Cannot go wrong. That's fair. Uh, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, where I grew up, that's my favorite place. Okay. And I have not done a lot. So I haven't been to everywhere. So I don't even know what is my favorite as yet. So maybe 10 years down the line, we have a chat again and I might have better favorite. Okay. <laughs> I'll follow up with you. <laughs> Lastly, I have to ask, like, partly because I really want the answer to this question. I don't know if you have it, but do you think that India will accept foreign travelers in the next year or two? Or do you think it'll be a bit of a wait with um, the pandemic? I think India will start accepting soon because they're vaccinating very quickly. I mean, recently my parents got vaccinated, so they are doing like a one and a half million a day. I have a feeling that once they maybe next year they'll start accepting it i'm keen to go as well like the moment it opens up i mean the moment australia allows it and india allows it i'm happy to go the moment it opens up and we i have vaccines uh, i mean i'm vaccinated then i'm definitely going within the first month i've already like explained that to my employer that like, look i'm going <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think we're probably going to try to go as soon as we can, too, because we're so sad that we had to cancel the trip that we had planned. Um, yeah, what, maybe how is... you and I probably will visit at the same yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll meet up. Um, well, thank you so much. It's been so fun chatting with you. Is there anything you want to share with our alpaca pals, like your Instagram or anywhere that they can find you if, in case they want to get in touch with you? Yeah, so my Instagram is... Anuj PH with A-N-U-J-P-H. I have pictures of places that I visited. It's not very big, <laughs> uh, but I'm quite active. Alpaca Pals, I hope you enjoyed this discussion about India as much as I did. It was really fun to speak to Anuj, and I hope that all of you consider traveling to India at some point, because I promise you, it will be incredible. Alpaca My Bags is written and hosted by me, Erin Hines, and it's produced by Katie Lohr. If you enjoyed this episode, please go ahead and leave a review on your podcast app, or you can show us your love on Patreon. On Patreon, you can pledge just $5 a month, and it really helps us in making this show. For example, right now, Patreon is helping us pay the fees for hosting this podcast, and that helps us out a lot. So if you want to help, go to the link in our Patreon. It's in the show notes. That's all for now, Alpaca Pals. I'll talk to you again in two weeks, and I hope you all get to alpaca your bags safely and soon. Mm-hmm.